0: And welcome to the Stephen Perkins podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins. This is my podcast, and this is actually the show where I interview emerging leaders in conservative activism, uh, media, business. And this week, I am speaking with Matthew Hurt. He is the grassroots trainer and curriculum developer for Americans for Prosperity Foundation and their Grassroots Leadership Academy, which teaches conservatives how to become activists and Uh, organize their communities behind conservative ideas. Um, What I also like about their uh, academy and their organization is that they work with a multitude of other conservative organizations. So they're not just keeping this in-house, they're working across the entire spectrum to help people uh, of all ages, of all backgrounds, learn how to be more effective community organizers and community activists. And so really excited to have this interview this week. And thanks to Matthew for coming on the show. Without further ado, here is my interview with Matthew Hurt. Matthew, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you today, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Absolutely. Um, We have a lot to dig into uh, with with what you do at Americans for Prosperity Foundation uh, and some of the Um, the activism or the the grassroots activism that you train on and uh, and, and the the programs there. But as we always do on the show, I want to start out from the very beginning. Where did you grow up?
1: Yeah, I was born in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, about 30 minutes southeast of Nashville. I grew up there my entire life and and, and even attended college in Murfreesboro, a place called Middle Tennessee State University.
0: And what did you what did you study at university?
1: I really wanted to be. This is it's a great question. I really wanted to be a high school history teacher, and so when I started my uh, collegiate experience, I was a history major and a secondary education minor with an additional minor in political science. So much more focused on the history side, uh, very interested in in classroom management, and then ultimately, um, strangely enough, and I think I think appropriately enough, my professors, my education professors. Said that I wouldn't like the red tape of, <laughs> of public school uh, and that if I wanted to teach, I could do so in another capacity without pursuing that avenue. And, and ultimately, dropped the secondary education minor, bumped up the poli sci major, and am now a, you know, I'm pursuing my passion, doing what I wanted to do all along. I'm a teacher.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I have friends who teach in public school. And uh, they love their job, but there are certainly components about it that can be a bit frustrating. But uh, so I think you've you probably found the sweet spot there. Um, growing up, what what was that like? Were your parents political? Um, did you grow up with these conservative family values, or what did that look like?
1: My my parents were pretty apolitical growing up. Neither of them voted, uh, as I remember, until. Uh, I graduated from high school, actually, in, in 2006, the year after I graduated, I was frustrated with the, with the status quo at the county level and ran for county commission, and as I tell activists across the country, uh, that was the first time my parents registered and cast a vote, presumably for me, I hope for me, uh, and, and now they have been engaged and thoughtful uh, re- regarding a, a number of issues ever since.
0: What yes, that's good that they, you know, that they hopefully voted for you. But that's that's great there. Um, The running for office at, you said, 19 years old? Mm -hmm. Yes. What was that experience like? Because we've had people on the show before. They've ran at 18, 19, some even a little later. um, And they talk about the challenges and they say that really age was not a a big thing against them. Um, But I'm curious about your perspective on that. You ran for county commissioner. Um, which is it's not a statewide office, but it's still an important office. Um, what was that whole campaign like?
1: You know, it, it, its foundations were in that sense of community uh, that we teach at the Grassroots Leadership Academy. I grew up in a, in a Southern Baptist church, and members of that church were frustrated with the incumbent county commissioner. He wasn't responsive to constituents. And so uh, out of that frustration— uh, they They channeled that into into me and, and and I agreed. I said, you know this is inappropriate. Uh, our elected officials should represent us. They should respond to us. So I made I made only one campaign promise in 2006. Uh, and that was if you contact me by phone, by email, by, by letter, I will simply respond to your, uh, to your uh, To your initial contact and and try to get to the bottom of the issue. And what I found going door to door, before I knew anything about how to campaign, before I knew about messaging, before I knew about you know whom to target, um, i I did find a, a few people who said, "Well, I can't vote for you at the county level because we have uh, property taxes and you don't own property, and you will vote to raise my property taxes and And so I was happy to give them a copy of a book that I picked up on on the campaign trail called The Law by Frederick Bastiat, which is probably the most important primer on the proper role of government. And in fact, a number of people, I was able to give them a copy of The Law, and a few days later they would call me back and say, okay, I understand what you believe is the proper role of government, and you have my support.
0: So talk about where, you said you picked up The Law, but where did... Um... Your conservative leanings or ideology come from? Was that something that happened when you started college, or where did that go
1: i think i've I always saw my parents as hard working you know my dad was an uh, electrician, uh, my mom worked a number of jobs and and at an early age, it was instilled in me that that value of hard work uh, and I think that is when we talk about those moral virtues and what conservatives are attracted to. It's uh, it's hard work. It is um, it's that rugged individualist mentality. And and there wasn't a moment like a lightning bolt uh, for me. Um, I I sort of held those beliefs. And then when I received a copy of the law uh, by by a a man named Clarence, who um, who distributed these copies pretty freely to people uh, whenever he encountered them, I was reading it. I was I was a cashier at a bookstore. And between customers, I was reading and highlighting important passages, and I found that I had highlighted most of, most of the book. Uh, and so that sort of uh, codified a, a loosely held belief system or a pretty strongly held belief system uh, that I had uh, before I was able to really pinpoint what it
0: was. I know you said you went to kind of a, a smaller university, but were you involved on campus with campus organizations?
1: Uh you know I'll say that uh, Middle Tennessee State University is is um one of the largest um undergraduate universities in Tennessee if not the largest and and I was involved um in the I joke that I was kicked out of the college republicans for being too conservative um but uh but was involved in the pro life groups I had a radio show at uh, on 88.3 WMTS give a shout out to those guys for for really getting my my sea legs on on you know taking part in activities like this, I I wrote for the school newspaper and I was involved in student government. So if there were, if there was a, a, an opportunity to be involved, I was likely involved in it.
0: I was about to say, so the the answer is yes. And then some, uh, very good. Uh, and, and I, I understand the kicked ups here for being too conservative. I've seen that happen. Um, all right, l- let's talk about, y- you talked about the law being one of the the texts that influenced you the most. Are there any other influences throughout college that kind of turned you towards this career that you're in now?
1: Yeah, I believe there there were a number of influences for me personally that really showed me what it meant and how important it was and it is to organize your community around the values or the principles that you believe in. Uh, I took... Uh, my first, actually, um, I took a Leadership Institute training in April of 2007. I know that you had Stephen Rowe on the, on the podcast a few weeks ago. And, uh, and that was, like Stephen, you know, that was one of my uh, first or my initial foray into the how-to side. And I took a, a youth leadership school, their flagship school, was enamored with what I learned and, and applied that throughout my activism on campus. And when I graduated in 2009... Having been as active as I was, I applied and 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 worked briefly at the Leadership Institute, organizing college students uh, across the country.
0: And what? So I, I guess the big question now that you're at uh, the uh, Americans for Prosperity Foundation, what led you to that role?
1: So my relationships with with coworkers at the Leadership Institute, one of one of whom is a is a guy named Darren Iwicky, uh, who's from New Jersey. Um, he's actually my my boss now here at the Grassroots Leadership Academy. So Darren, when I worked full- time at the Leadership Institute, worked um, at the Youth Leadership School. He was one of the directors, along with a guy named Kent Strang, who is also um, a teammate here at Americans for Prosperity Foundation. And um, I think that relationship, you know, is it's hard to break in to politics and and to, to the movement sometimes. Uh, and so, what happens is you develop those relationships, meaningful relationships with coworkers and friends, and and, and people across the movement. And when those opportunities arise, um, you can seize on them. You know, I, I took sort of the long path. I worked at the Leadership Institute uh, from July two thousand nine to March two thousand ten. Uh, managed a campaign in the twenty ten cycle. Did fundraising, uh, direct mail fundraising for four and a half years, and was sort of at a point in my career. Uh, I I sort of joked that it was a midlife crisis. There was a situation where uh, suddenly my employment was um, was no longer for the first time in my adult life, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And this opportunity opened. It was a conversation that I had with with Darren uh, for a couple of months, and 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 then joined the team. And I've I've been a a trainer with the Grassroots Leadership Academy since June of 2015.
0: 2015. And before that, I just remember this note. You were, a, uh, you were a delegate to the Republican Convention in 2012, is that right?
1: Certainly, and, and a couple of the anecdotes that I will tell are, are in, my, in my private capacity and, and, and aren't necessarily an endorsement by the Grassroots Leadership Academy or Americans for Prosperity Foundation, but yes, both in, in 2012 and in 2016. I, I joked um, in 2012 that I was a Ron Paul-supporting Mitt Romney-bound delegate from Virginia, and in 2016 i was uh, an an at large delegate from virginia and was able to see that process so in my in my personal capacity um, i'm involved in in the public policy process in a number of ways
0: and the ron paul supporting mitt Romney, that resonates with me i call myself a romney libertarian so there's a lot of there is i'm just saying we have something we have, there's something there um so Back to your role in AFP, uh, the foundation, um, what do you do on a daily basis where you're, you're training people, um, you're providing some of that curriculum? What is that daily, I, I guess, the, 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 what is a day in the life uh, of someone in your role?
1: I truly have, uh, Stephen, I think the best job in the world. And And before I dig into the day to day, I'll just give you just a couple of top lines. Um, First of all, it's important to have a strong vision and a clear vision. And the Grassroots Leadership Academy's vision is to serve as a critical catalyst in providing Americans with the education, trainings, courage, conviction, and leadership skills to defend the American dream from the progressive policies and and false narratives. And so uh, what I do taking the passion and the enthusiasm that I have and, and that a number of the trainers that, that, that are on our team have. And in fact, in the last um, two and a half to three years, we've trained more than 10,000 activists uh, in over 1,200 courses in 35 states. My day-to-day looks like this. Let's, let's imagine a week in the life is on Monday I will uh, I most likely wake up, I go to the office, which is in Arlington, Virginia, and the rest of the week doesn't look like that at all. Quite frequently on, on Tuesday morning, I travel out to a community. For instance, this week, the week that we're recording this podcast, um, on Wednesday, I will fly to Indianapolis and conduct a number of trainings across uh, Indiana. I'll be back in the office on, on Friday morning uh, early to teach our, um, many of our uh, headquarters staff what we call the Framework for a Free and Open Society Uh, the way we maximize peace, civility, and well-being by by empowering people to go and achieve their own American dream. Uh, But, you know, my travel schedule is is fairly hectic. I've been to probably or almost uh, 40 states uh, in the last eight years, and really in the last two and a half years, uh, the most of them, probably 26 or 27 different states where I've conducted some kind of training uh, where I, I go into a community, um, and normally it's two or three nights worth of training. These, these trainings are geographically, they make sense. So a couple of weeks ago, I was in you know Tucson one night and Phoenix the next night, so very close and contiguous. Uh, there have been weeks where I've been, um, say, in Florida, so you may start in Tampa, and then Orlando, and, and then maybe Miami um, for a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday uh, night series of trainings, and there are um, 20 or so people like me across the country who are conducting any number of trainings from week to week
0: And so you'd say that you thrive and having something different every day that's kind of the, the the work situation that you enjoy the most
1: when when I'm in a room and and you can see on the faces of the activists that they get it that they, that that emotional, underpinning that initial frustration or concern about their well-being or about their community can be channeled into something productive. There is nothing more fulfilling than seeing that look on their faces and being in a room with activists. You know, I, I, I joke that I live, quote, in the swamp, uh, you know, that's sort of the terminology that we use today. But every day that I'm out in a place like Phoenix or a place like O'Fallon, Illinois, or a place like Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Jackson, Mississippi, Hanging out with activists is uh, is the the greatest day of my life.
0: So I think maybe this ties into a question I ask uh, every guest on the show, and that is, what is your why? What is the, the personal mission that guides you?
1: It's it's exactly that. It is um, that look on someone's face when they realize they can make a difference. When when um, when they think you know this this you know pounding of the desk or my head against the desk or against the wall. It doesn't have to be that way. I, I can, I can go out and I can make a difference in the community. And And I think a great example is a woman named uh, Gayla in, in Phoenix. You know, she graduated um, from our level one certification and also level two. So she took she took more than or about 18 hours worth of training with us and uses those skills that she learned in in the Grassroots Leadership Academy to teach students and activists about the Constitution. And then one of her sessions was held during, during a monsoon. If you're familiar with the Phoenix weather hmm. uh, in late summer, um, you know, it's pretty insane. Eleven people still managed to show up. Another guy, um, a state representative in New Hampshire, three-term state representative named J.R. Hole, he took... Um, our trainings as well, and since then, since his graduation, he's used those skills um, to advance economic freedom in the New Hampshire legislature by founding the New Hampshire Freedom Caucus, and it's got 50 members in, in it. So he used the the community organizing tactics and strategies that we teach uh, to build a, a true community in, in the New Hampshire State House. And there are stories like that all across the country of, of people in elected office of people who are just everyday average Americans who realize that they can make a difference.
0: What is the general age of people that come to these trainings? Do you find that it's, uh, it's younger people? Is it, is it older people? Like what is the general age there?
1: We have, uh, grassroots leadership Academy trainings are tremendously diverse in this sense. Uh, we, we have the privilege and the pleasure to work with a number of organizations, both, um, both directly but also indirectly. And, and so what I've seen, working with uh, an organization called Generation Opportunity Institute, we've trained um, college students and people who identify as millennial. Just this summer, just a couple of months ago, I was in Chicago um, with an organization called Turning Point USA, where we provided two trainings for their, for their conference there to 170 young people, current college leaders. Um, we work with an organization called um, the Libre Institute, which talks about economic freedom or articulates our economic freedom in the American dream to the Hispanic uh, communities in this country. Um, I was in Orlando with a um, with a training made up of um, largely of, of Puerto Ricans who who make up that community in Orlando who want to who would want to achieve their American dream and 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 articulate that dream to others. I have been to. Um, trainings for an organization called Concerned Veterans for America Foundation, and those are veterans, their families, and their allies who want to see, um, you know, a change in, in that process, and, and I've trained them. And then, of course, we have sort of the, the remainder is Americans for Prosperity Foundation, and, and, and there's a great wide range of, uh, of ages, of demographics, um, and it's really up to the individual field director in that community who who has ties to um, to whatever group they bring in for these trainings.
0: I'm really interested in, in a lot of research that I do uh, is centered around why young people don't get involved in politics or if they are involved, why they don't uh, get involved on the local or state level. Uh, and what I found largely, and this has kind of changed after 2016 because a lot of people have, um, they've, they've kind of they've started paying more attention to things that are going on and they've they've become more motivated to to get involved um, but I'm curious from your perspective as a trainer working with people that are millennials or even I guess some people in their late teens now would be considered whatever that generation is um why do you think that there is a hesitancy to even get involved and then when they do get involved sometimes I see that it's the federal politics that they want to get involved with, and not so much on the local level. Level. Do you have any thoughts on on those?
1: It's quite possibly two or threefold. Um, I think that by and large, many college students are apathetic. Uh, they aren't liberal. They aren't conservative. They are. They just don't care, or it doesn't directly impact their lives. And so, what ends up happening is if you have a, a Generation Opportunity Institute. Um, organization or, you know, these groups that we're familiar with, Young Americans for Liberty or Students for Liberty or any number, you know, if you, if you, you know, check out any number of right of center student groups, those, it it is in those instances that those campus leaders find people who are apathetic and they get involved. The first reason, and I think primary reason is the social aspect. They want to feel like they're part of a group. They want to feel like they're part of a community. So when they find a group of people that they like if they don't have a set of political beliefs or a philosophy, they may well adapt those beliefs from the organization. So if a if a, a free market student group on a college campus recruits new people, people who were previously apathetic, we now have those individuals, by and large, likely, very likely, uh, as engaged on those issues and, and on our side when it comes to freedom for decades. So the first the first one is apathy. The second one is sometimes, and i and, and, and I've seen it play out, and I've been the – I don't want to say the victim, but I've, I've been the recipient or on the receiving end of this – is the, the status quo or the people who are involved are generally older. And sometimes they say, oh, you're just an idealistic young person. You know, you'll know, you be jaded by the system soon enough. Come back when you're older. Uh, and, and I think that is um, an incorrect way to look at it. And, and so what I've seen, what is fantastic – in some of the offices across the country that, that I've provided trainings in, is we've seen a great um, sort of cross-section of, of both young people, college age and, and recent graduates, and older people um, who've been involved for a long time. And when they are able to sit down and talk to one another about substantive philosophical differences or philosophical similarities or policy differences or similarities, we find that a level of understanding is established. And then third, I think to your point, about federal issues, um, you know, I, I think that federal issues are, are, um, are attractive to a lot of people, but it isn't where you can make the most impact. And, and this is one of the things that, that I tell our activists of any age is, you know, have you ever been frustrated with Washington? Undoubtedly, that, that it is always yes. Um, people are always frustrated with Washington. However, you know, if you turn that frustration inward and you turn it to the state level, or the local level, you can really see that you can make a, a, a much more greater impact. And then what ends up happening is when you make an impact at the local level, when you make an impact at the state level, those philosophical victories tend to trickle up. You know, if you're if you um, you know stop a tax hike in your community, a bond issue in your community, um, and and you show up to a town council meeting, uh, and this is what, what what is fascinating, get ten college students to show up at their state representative's office and see the look on that state rep's face when when he or she sees that young people are educated and passionate about a local or a state-level issue. It's fascinating. So I really encourage activists to start local. Um, You know, as Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local, and it's it's true. Um, I think you should start there, and then you can see those wins trickle up.
0: I think there's two very important things you said on that last point. Um, well, actually, in the last two points. The first one is when you said getting that cross-section of younger and older activists together, um, what we find oftentimes is that th- this is the case not just for young people, but also, interestingly, for women. They feel like getting involved in politics uh, is is much easier for people uh, who are, I guess, seemingly in the majority. So for women, it would be men who kind of have an advantage there for younger people, they think, oh, the older people are the ones who are able to run for office or able to do activism. Um, What we often find is that just by a party leader or an organization leader encouraging them to take an active role, uh, you'll get them to be more active because then they have the validation of someone in leadership saying, no, I think you'd be great at doing this. Um, So that's kind of interesting that you mentioned that. And then the last point, about the impact growing it's this idea of a snowball right you You get together a couple of victor a couple of small victories, and you build this idea that you can then take on anything um and and when you look at the stories of prominent federal politicians, the one that comes to mind. Not a conservative, but influential nonetheless. Uh, as you have Cory Booker, who got involved uh, very locally in New Jersey, or even Barack Obama, who was a, a community organizer, and they work their way up. Uh, a, a lot of people see Donald Trump as this guy who kind of went right into federal office without any former office uh, offices that he held. Um, but the the much more common route, and I would argue the more valuable route, is to to start small, and and as you said. Grow that impact that you have from the local to the state level. So. Stephen,
1: anyone anyone who doesn't think that local politics can be exciting, you mentioned Cory Booker, should watch the documentary "Street Fight." Yeah, um, the the documentary about Cory Booker challenging the the sharp James machine. In, in Jersey, it is, uh, it is fascinating to see what, in, the, in, the, in that instance, machine politics looks like and, and what he had to go through to break in. And, and there's a lot of that. And for young people who want to be involved, uh, it can sometimes be discouraging when you do run up against an establishment or a status quo that says, we don't need you here. Uh, I remember being told that. We don't need you here. You're, you're a little rough around the edges, or, or you're too much of a firebrand, or, or you're too idealistic. Um, but what I found is, is those meetings are run by the people who show up. So if you keep showing up, um, they can't ignore you. Uh, and it's, it's been fascinating to see what young people can do and what, what people who, have, who aren't as young but who have sort of dropped out of political engagement and come back. You know, there were activists that I met in Dayton, Ohio – um, a couple of years ago who they had dropped out of party politics. They were tired of the infighting of party politics. And they came back and they got involved with Americans for Prosperity Foundation because they were more concerned about issues, um, about policies than personalities. Uh, and, and so I've seen that when, when people have an outlet that is policy oriented and not personality oriented. They really, uh, I think, have a, have a, a better opportunity. And, and one more anecdote uh, regarding your point there. Is I, I encountered a, a married couple in Iowa a couple of years ago, and the the wife was sort of along for the ride. Her husband compelled her to come to the training, and um, she wasn't particularly interested, um, and I didn't know why. And so one of the nights, our our night three training, we 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 encourage activists to get together one on one and talk with somebody they don't know to get to know them better and to establish a sense of community, and. In that one-on-one meeting she had with somebody she didn't know, um, it was articulated why. And she came back through the training one more time, and I told her story. Um, She, uh, while her husband worked nine to five, she was raising their their son, uh, who was on the autism spectrum. And he was probably about my age, maybe in his mid to, to late 20s. And she knew, and her husband knew, that they were going to raise him all of their lives. And so, rather than have time to be interested in politics or interested in policy, she dealt primarily with with the the task of raising her son or their son and that one on one meeting, she met a special needs teacher, and they were able to talk about the challenges of of raising someone with special needs and and she found in the room an ally and so and the light came on for her. And she came back through the training to do it again because she finally knew that there was somebody who understood her struggle. Mm. So if we get to know one another beyond the political, beyond the the, the the stuff that we talk about on the nightly news, and we get to know the struggles, the triumphs, and, and, the, and the 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 lives of, of our friends and neighbors, it can really make a difference and make an impact.
0: I think that's just the perfect story to kind of show, uh, show what's possible when you get involved there. And, and that's really great. Um, Cool, and, and I didn't know that, that the foundation worked with so many other organizations. I, you know, Oftentimes what we see within conservative organizations is they kind of want to stay in their lane and there's not as much collaboration. So it's great to know that um, you guys are doing just that. Um, I want to move on to kind of our final round of questions, rapid fire questions, which just means that I have to ask them quickly, um, not that, that your responses have to be quick. Um, and I think we've already answered the first one, the book that influenced you the most, would you say the law is that one book?
1: It's, it's absolutely that one book.
0: And what about books that you give away the most, or as I found, people don't often give away books anymore, but if you were to give away books or recommend a book, what's the, a couple of books that you would recommend?
1: Uh, I think one of the books that, that I really enjoy, um, as part of being part of the culture of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation family is one called Good Profit by Charles Koch. And it really talks about in a, in a free society, what it means to benefit yourself by benefiting others. Uh, sometimes our friends on the left and, and even our friends on the right say the capitalist system, there are winners and losers. But if you go in as, a, as an entrepreneur, and you want to provide the best, the fastest, the smartest, and, and the, the cheapest but the most quality product, you're going to have to listen to the customers and you're going to have to provide um, the best customer service you can. And so, you know, getting in the mindset that what we're doing, you know, embracing free enterprise, embracing a free and open society, really allows everyone to thrive, and, and so th- those values are articulated in good profit. Uh, I think there, there, there are a dozen or so. Anything, anything by Thomas Sowell, uh, economist Thomas Sowell, who just is so great at articulating many of these complex and often boring to many people, boring issues uh, in a way that is understandable, is uh, is tremendous. But, but again, that first initial foray into 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 the philosophical is probably the law, and then and then finally, I think, if you're a community organizer. Uh, for the right or for the left, for the freedom or or for statism, there are two books that are are important. There's um, Dedication and Leadership by Douglas Hyde. Hyde was an avowed communist in in the United Kingdom in in the post-World War II era, and he shed his communist beliefs and joined the church. But um, one of the things that that he took to the church was what the Communist Party taught him uh, in how to be an organizer, how to be Uh, on fire for your beliefs. And so he took that belief system to the church. And then secondly, of course, is uh, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. On day one when I started at the Leadership Institute and on day one when I started at the Grassroots Leadership Academy, I had a bundle of books, and both of those bundles included Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. And for those who may object to many of the teachings and the beliefs of Alinsky, uh, which I do, it is just as important to know what the other side is willing to do to you uh and, and to be able to understand those tactics and strategies, and so uh if not if not for a, a how to guide, it should definitely be a guide for when it happens to you.
0: Those are really great, and we will put those in the show notes so people could check that out. Um, imagine for a moment you had an opportunity to get one message out to millions of people. What is that one? Uh, message that you would want to get out to the world?
1: I think everyone is empowered to make a difference for freedom, no matter what their role in society is, from the school teacher, to the janitor, to the electrician, to the doctor, to the lawyer, to the elected official, to the underemployed college student. Uh, Understanding that and finding a community that fosters that, that fosters your passion for a free and open society, um, can make you as successful uh, as you want to be in advancing a free society. So I just encourage anyone who cares about limited government liberty and what we call a free and open society to find a way to get involved.
0: Next question is a fun one. Uh, you get to put on the, the future telling hat a bit. In the next 10 to 30 years, what is an issue or a couple of issues that you think could really become uh, banner issues of, of uh, you know, the, the next era? There is a really great video
1: by the Mercatus Center uh, by a guy named Professor Robert Grayboys G R A B O Y E S and he talks about healthcare. Actually, the last thirty years of healthcare, um, and there's a dichotomy. Um, we are currently in what he calls the fortress, uh, where we're where elected officials are trying to protect the status quo, um, and what we should be doing is is getting out onto the frontier, trying new things, right to try medication, um, things that that we can't even fathom right now because we don't know that they can exist. And this is what's great about spontaneous order, is that out of the, uh, uh, an unknown need in society, someone will provide that need and we cannot possibly know what it is. And so I think medical advancements in technology are going to just go through the roof. I think in the last 15 years, we've seen um, technology advance exponentially. I think we're going to see a, a shift and this is going to be a challenge a shift from the, the service economy, or from manufacturing to service, to what happens when, when many things are automated. What do people do then? And I think those are gonna provide some challenges, but I also think there, there are really neat opportunities in, in what I would call the, the sharing economy. Uh, things like Uber and Lyft and, and, um, and food trucks and AirBnB. That just, just, and what happens is people don't realize they're embracing liberty when they eat at a food truck, or they don't realize they're embracing property rights and freedom when they stay at an Airbnb. And so making that connection to the actual physical, tangible, what it is that everybody does to what it means in a free and open society uh, is very important.
0: I love those sharing economy apps for that very reason. I have a trip coming up with an Airbnb. So excited about it. Um, No, I think that's really great. I like what you said there from going from the fortress to the frontier I think it's been a while since we've been comfortable with this idea of trying new things and experimenting with what could be. And so I think that's important. Um, and finally, I just want to know with as much traveling as you do, I know you're, you're a busy, busy guy. How do you uh, how do you keep up to date with what's going on in the world? What is your media consumption diet look like? What are your favorite sources, things of that nature?
1: I shock our activists when I tell them what I actually listen to and read uh, uh, around the country because I think it's important to hear all sides. And so I listen quite a lot uh, to NPR, uh, to the podcasts. You know, I'm, I'm never, uh, never in one place for too long, so I download those podcasts. I listen to Malcolm Gladwell. I listen to, uh, you know, any, any number of those, those kinds of, of, of products. And I also, when I'm watching cable news, I generally watch MSNBC, and, and I do so because of, uh, because of this, because we teach our activists how to frame liberty and how to frame freedom and how to frame a free and open society, and we can't anticipate how the um, the opponents of freedom are going to frame their discussion or their argument unless we hear their arguments. And so I constantly watch... Uh, MSNBC and listen to NPR and and read left of center sites to get a perspective. I know what Fox News is going to say. I know what uh, my friends at Town Hall or Red State are going to publish. But I want to anticipate and be able to counter um, those false narratives as as I talked about at the beginning.
0: Very cool. Um, And finally, do you have a request or an ask that you would like uh, out of anyone listening?
1: I think anyone listening to this program... Uh, can do two things. And the first is twofold. Um, first, check out Framework for a and the Grassroots The Framework for a Free Society is, is how we are trying to organize um, society and how we advance, again, um, well being and prosperity, peace, and civility. And, and the Grassroots is a great resource. There's a blog there. You can check that out. But more importantly, if you are in one of the th- 36 states where we have a presence from Arizona, New Mexico to New Hampshire to Montana to Florida to Tennessee, red states and blue states and purple states. I'm going to New Jersey next week and Pennsylvania. Um, check, check out the, where we are. And if you're local, if you're nearby, I hope you sign up for one of those opportunities to get involved in your community. It's a really great opportunity to, to make your voice heard and to go out and, and, and fight for a free and open society in your community.
0: Awesome. And in the meantime, where can people find you and the foundation on social media? Absolutely. We are, uh, you can find GLA,
1: the Grassroots Leadership Academy, if you just search Grassroots Leadership Academy on Facebook. We're at GLA Training on Twitter. And I am at Matthew Hurt on Twitter. And that is a total of four Ts M A T T H E W H U R T T.
0: Matthew, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I'd like to thank Matthew one more time for coming on the show. And thanks to you for listening. You can find me on social media at Stephen underscore Perkins. That's Stephen with a PH on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. You can also find the outset network at outset network on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as you can browse the other podcasts that we offer here on the network by going to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast. Until we speak again next week, take care. God bless. God bless.